we tend to think in very narrow paths and you need to be able to literally kind of kickstart your head in different directions and this is one creative way to do that. Welcome to the Thriving on Overload podcast. I am Ross Dawson, a futurist and entrepreneur fascinated by how we can excel at dealing with the universe of information and the author of the book, Thriving on Overload. Every week, we share insights from information masters on how they transform today's avalanche of information into insight, foresight, and better decisions. For more goodness on this topic, be sure to visit thrivingonoverload.com, where there are a wealth of resources to help you thrive, including all podcast episodes with transcripts, excerpts from my book, and if you are really intent on amplifying your information productivity, the Thriving on Overload interactive course, which helps you develop a personal information plan you can immediately put into practice. And be sure to sign up for our weekly Tips for Thriving newsletter if you want to optimize your information productivity. If you enjoyed this episode, please do subscribe and give a rating or review on iTunes. It helps others interested in this topic to find these resources. Now, on with the show. On this episode, we learn from Chuck Frey. Chuck is a PR and online marketing expert who focuses on innovation, creativity, business strategy, and visual thinking. He is the founder and publisher of the Mind Mapping Software blog, and the author of a number of books, including Up Your Impact and Creativity Hacks. You can find more on his work at chuckfrey.com. That's C-H-U-C-K-F-R-E-Y. Mindmappingsoftware.com on Twitter at Chuck Frey. And his Tools for Thinking newsletter can be found on LinkedIn and Medium. In this episode, you will learn about visual mapping, creative thinking techniques, choosing tools, and sleight of head. Keep listening to learn from Chuck's wonderful insights. Chuck, delighted to have you on the show. Delighted to be here. Thanks for the invite. So I think we have a lot to learn from you. So we'll try to dig in and uh, get as much from you as we can. But I want to start with your backstories, how you got to this. I mean, I, I was 2007, I believe you set up the mind mapping software blog, and that, that may not have been the beginning. So, I mean, is this something from when you were a child that you were looking at and thinking of? How did you come to these thinking tools, the visual concept mapping, and all of these uh, all of these uh, ways of approaching this? Probably in the late 90s, I came across a, a handheld brainstorming tool in Success Magazine of all places. And I'll try and make this as quick of a story as I can, because I know we have a lot of ground to cover. But I didn't even know that there was such a thing. And so I reached out to the developer of it, who was from Chicago, and started doing some publicity for him to help promote it. And it opened up a whole world to me of tools and resources and methods to think differently, to think better. And it seemed to me that even 20 years ago, the pace of change was accelerating and, and there was a need for people to know more about this. And uh, my background's in PR and marketing, and I had the opportunity to join a trade association to help put them on the web. And eventually I took what I learned and built my own website focused on creativity and innovation and just happened to be in the right place at the right time that grew like crazy to the point where it was the world's largest site focused on that. And I spent a lot of focus and time on tools, thinking tools. And one part of that was mind mapping software, which seemed to be really growing rapidly, but there was nobody covering it full time. So that kind of splintered off from uh, the innovation tools site and eventually innovation tools went away. Uh, there's a, a bad joint venture involved there. That's a story for another day. But 
as we were talking before we got on this call, this these tools are very powerful. They're they're really uh, useful to knowledge workers who need to be able to gather, organize, distill, and share information. And doing that in a visual way helps you connect the dots, help you to see what you're missing, um, helps you to get clarity quicker and make better decisions and to think at a, at a higher level. And since then, that's expanded to include other types of visual thinking tools. Uh, since COVID, these uh, sticky note-based uh, whiteboard tools, have they were around before that, but they took off overnight because suddenly teams could not get access to their traditional whiteboards anymore. And this was a, a valuable substitute. And uh, as you know, note-taking has taken off quite a bit, and there's a whole new subgenre of that that are visual note-taking tools where you basically you've combined the card-based note with an infinite canvas. And now, once again, you have the ability to connect the dots and see things in relationship to each other that weren't possible before. So let's let's start with mind mapping. So you, as you say, the what you cover is far broader than that. So what's what are some of the... Perhaps not tricks, but the tips. Or what are the ways in which somebody who is already mind mapping could enhance their practices? What are some of the ways to make mind mapping as useful and valuable as possible? Well, I, I actually have a four-step framework that I've uh, promoted, and that I have a course that uh, that I call the, the Fast Framework. And basically, you need to start out with the right foundation, actually having a, a goal for what you want the map to be. Uh, one of the challenges comes in that not everybody knows or understands mind maps. And as you create a map with all these branches, you understand the context and the thinking behind it. But if somebody else is viewing it, if you've shared it with them, they don't have that. And so you really have to think through very carefully, what's the objective of it? What are you sharing? How are you going to make it clear for others? And uh, fortunately, as a thinking tool, it works the way your brain does by association. So you can very quickly build out branches and, and uh, Know, cover a lot of area, uh, but, but but again, have to have a goal. Are you planning a project? Are you trying to make a decision? Are you simply brainstorming and then trying to evaluate all the ideas you've come up with? And then from there, kind of step back, almost like a painter would from the canvas, and look, look at a high level of what you've created, figure out what's missing, what needs to be added to or clarified. And then there's some things that you can do to enhance the map that a lot of people, uh, I think, don't even bother with. Things like uh, icons or symbols, task information, uh, tagging, things that enable you to visually classify your information. And then as well as as you're putting this together, in the, the first arrangement of your topics shouldn't be the end result. You can move things around. It gives you a great deal of freedom to rearrange your map and to play what if with the topics. And the interesting thing is, is when you move a topic to a new location in the map, it's suddenly surrounded by a constellation of other topics and you're able to look at it in a different context and often that spurs additional ideas. So th those are just some of the things you could do to, to improve a map. Fantastic. So, so I'd point to, I suppose, three major visual diagramming tools being mind mapping, concept mapping, and systems diagrams, each with, I suppose, a different frame for you know, how those connections are, are made on the page. Just interested in other yes. than mind maps. And what else would you point to as, as useful visual tools? Oh, concept mapping you mentioned. Uh, you know, a, a mind map is very hierarchical. It's got a central topic and then branches that come out from it. It's almost like a visual outline like you did in school. 
but not all information is uh, aligned with with that model. So a concept map enables you to show more complex relationships where some a topic might have multiple parents or multiple children, and you can add notes onto those connector lines, which create some context. I mentioned uh, uh, earlier the uh, sticky note-based uh, whiteboard tools that have become so popular, like Miro and Mural, uh, that really enables teams either in real time or asynchronously to brainstorm, to start uh, working through a thinking process, uh, to do planning, and uh, it's, again, a very flexible canvas. You can do a lot of things with it. There are some very popular note-taking tools that have grown to millions and millions of users and billions of valuations, things like Evernote and Notion. But now there's a whole subgenre of tools that's come into the uh, into play. Just the year, last year or two, that I call visual note-taking tools, where you take the card-based note and now you place it within an infinite canvas once again, so you can start moving things around and uh, seeing your ideas in relationship with each other and connect them either implicitly with lines or with tags. And uh, that I get really excited about because it uh, it helps you to think better to think more creatively, to take advantage of serendipity. Uh, one of the things that I'm particularly excited about recently, and I wrote about on my blog, is the canvas that has been added to Obsidian. And even before that, the graph view, uh, it enables you to see notes that are somehow related, but you may not have connected them yet with, with backlinks. But you can filter that view to a very high degree and, and again, see connections between these uh, these spark notes, these germs of ideas that you can join together and create new things out of. So you you mentioned Obsidian, which is one of you know current generation of thinking tools. So you said around twenty years ago you were interested in thinking tools, and you just did a post on your newsletter recently saying that the time of thinking tools has come, which I I very much agree with. Where suddenly there is this a uh, whole lot of energy uh, and you know recognition that's something we need to do, a whole bunch of tools are emerging. So what do you see, you know, of most interest in the thinking tools landscape at the moment? What's what's emerging? What's uh, What are people taking notice of? One thing that uh, in particular in the last year that, uh, that I've seen that really got my attention was the introduction of AI to these tools. Uh, in the visual note-taking space, there's one called Napkin, that as you're working on one note, it is displaying in the periphery of this canvas related notes. They could be notes that you have explicitly linked to that note, but not necessarily. It, uh, the AI is doing some sort of semantic analysis and displaying things to you that it thinks may be related that you might want to see. And from what I understand, when you get up above, say, 150 or 200 notes, the magic starts to happen. You start to see things that you go, wow, I put that in here a year ago, and I completely forgot it was there, but it's really useful to me now. Um, in the concept mapping realm, there's a tool called Context Minds that has added AI to it. And what it does is as you add topics to this map, there's a panel on the bottom of the screen where it displays related words and concepts. And you can drag and drop those into your map. It doesn't force you to to take these things on. It doesn't uh, draw the map for you, but it gives you the choice to uh, to decide what's related, you know, what else should be added. And then in the mind mapping realm, there's a tool called AOA. A Y O A it used to be called iMindMap. It's been around a long time, but it transitioned to being a web-based tool. And the, the developers have taken it in some new directions, and they have added AI as well. 
in this case, if you've got a, a topic in your map, you can tell the AI tool to add five topics and it'll create new sub-branches with suggested words on it, again, based on semantic analysis. So, so one question is, you've got all these wonderful array of tools available. You know, these are just a handful, the ones you've mentioned. So how does somebody choose what set of tools that they use? What's the process of being able to say, well, I'll use this tool or I'll use this these ones in combination? So would somebody use one of the ones you've mentioned plus an Obsidian or a Rome or, or Evernote or Notion? Or what? What? how do you build up a, a set of tools to to use to which works for you for you i guess mainly two starting points number one what is it you need to get done are you writing are you planning are you trying to brainstorm things uh, are you trying to make decisions uh, and secondly what's your work style is it tend to be more visual or more text-based uh, in the mind mapping space there's been a great divide for as long as i can remember of people who think it's the greatest thing since sliced bread and then a whole other group of people who think it's frivolous and their documents and spreadsheets and and uh, PowerPoint decks work just fine. Thank you very much. But at some point, I think people realize if I want to make a bigger impact, I need to think in some different ways than I'm used to doing because, you know, I'm kind of wearing these invisible blinders on my thinking. And, you know, if I want to reach that next level, I really need to step up my, my game. So I would start out with something simple in the mind mapping space. I always recommend uh, one of the web-based tools like MindMeister, where for a very low monthly cost, you could experiment. I mean, you can't really know before you go into it if it's the right tool. You have to try it, see if it fits in with your workflow and the way you like to think. And there's a little bit of trial and error, to be honest, but, but that's the way to find out what's going to work best for you. Fantastic. So couple couple of things I want to dig back into. So what, one is these idea of the notes. So you might said mentioned, uh, you know, 150 notes, whatever. So what's the nature of those notes? Would that be a sentence? Would that be a link? Would that be, uh, you know, a, a phrase or an idea? I mean, of course, it can, could, it could be any or all of those. Right. But what are your suggestions as to what the nature of a, one of these uh, atomic units that is, uh, you know, connected together in these uh, platforms. I think it's a very individual thing. And again, I think serendipity is really important because, uh, you know, I'm kind of the poster child for this. I've been using Evernote forever, t 10 years, and I probably have 6,000 plus notes in it, but it ends up being, I call it a sarcophagus. Ideas go there to die. You know, I'm working full time. I'm trying to do these things on the side. I don't have a lot of spare time to write and do, do these other projects. so. I haven't done as much linking and searching back into my archives and finding these nuggets of gold as I should. And, uh, you know, I've been using it right along as a writing platform. I found it really useful in the sense that I have an iPhone and I use Siri to dictate ideas. I find those can hit me anytime. And I learned a long time ago that it's really wise to capture those immediately, even if it's just a germ of an idea. And then I can iteratively go back into Evernote and build those up. I've been toying around with the idea of moving to Obsidian, but I didn't really understand how it would benefit me, particularly as a content creator. And I came across a course recently by a guy named Matt Giaro uh, called Second Brain for Content Creators that really opened my eyes to what was possible, particularly with GraphView and the whole idea of working in atomic notes, just taking things down to the uh, you know, 
basic level so that you've got building blocks, literally like digital Lego blocks that you can combine in different ways to build up content more quickly than sitting down with a blank note and trying to come up with something and then doing a Google search to try and find more bits and pieces to join with it. If you're doing this right, if you're really passionate about an area and you've been doing this collection or curation, with, and it's a lightweight system, it doesn't require a lot of rigor, but again, if you've been building up this uh, this repository of ideas, you can then dip into them and actually accelerate your writing process by quite a bit and improve it. Uh, coming up with ideas that aren't just regurgitations of what everybody else is writing about, but with your own unique perspective. Absolutely. You are listening to the Thriving on Overload podcast. If you truly want to increase your information productivity, then check out the Thriving on Overload interactive course. It is designed to significantly enhance your information practices and habits, guiding you through creating your own personal information plan so you can excel in a world of overload. Go to thrivingonoverload.com slash course to find out more. Now back to the show. You, you mentioned the word serendipity a couple of times, which is uh, also one of my favorite ideas and concepts. And so, for example, the AI tools you mentioned are facilitators of serendipity. They make connections you might not see. But more generally, just thinking back, as a, as a thinking tool or a thinking process, what are ways that we can enhance the serendipity of our thinking, of the ideas that we find, of how we connect them? What are, what are some of the things that we can uh, do? Uh, in my opinion, it's very much a mindset thing. Um, I try and cultivate what I call an insight outlook. As I consume things, as I hear things, as I you know, listen to podcasts or watch YouTube videos or, or read a newsletter, I'm always asking myself, what does this mean? Uh, how can I use it? How does it fit in with the rest of what I understand about this topic? Does it challenge it? Is this something I should save? But but just having your radar up looking for things, you'd be surprised at how much you come in contact with a date on a daily basis that might be somehow tangentially related to something you're trying to get done or takes your thinking in a new direction or helps you come up with a new angle on something you're trying to write about. Yeah, one, one thing which I like to do is find uh, different seeds. So you might start with Starting somewhere you wouldn't normally start. Yes. <laughs> and uh, head off in a different direction. So it's like, can you find a person or a topic or an idea or a source which you uh, is outside your, what you normally wouldn't find and use that as a starting point to see where, what you stumble across that can be relevant to you? Uh, one of the things that I've been uh, pretty rigorous about over the years is collecting uh, creative thinking techniques. Uh, there's one book I recommend to your audience, in particular called Thinker Toys by Michael McElko. It's a fun book. It's not a dry academic read. It's delightful. And it and it catalogs all these thinking methods that he's come across and that he's used in his consulting. And I'll just share you, you with you one very briefly. Uh, you said talked about a different starting point. One of them is called Board of Directors. Imagine that you're standing in front of a group of the smartest people, living or dead, famous or not, that somehow influence your thinking. Say you've got Steve Jobs, Albert Einstein, and a former college professor sitting in front of you, and you briefly explain what your challenge is, and then you wait for their advice, you know, based on their background and the way they think. And a lot of this is very public, because you know, if they're famous, famous people, there's been books written, and you imagine 
what advice they would give you on how to solve that problem. And it's kind of a sleight of head exercise, if you will, because again, we tend to get very narrowly focused in on our own way of thinking. I'm sure you've heard of confirmation bias and availability bias. We we tend to think in very narrow paths and you need to be able to be, literally kind of kickstart your head in different directions. And this is one creative way to do that. Yeah, no, I love that phrase, slide of head. Yes. And, uh, and I actually agree, you know, since I was a child, I kind of felt that most most people are living their lives with blinkers on. I mean, it's yes. it's kind of just natural. We, we you know we've got things to get on with, and so we we implicitly put our blinkers on and don't look around. And so part of the challenge is to make sure that we take the blinkers off from time to time and do look from side to side or outside where we was just right in front of us. Well, it's it's ironic, Ross. You write about uh, dealing with overload. We have had to create these blinders just to be able to survive. We have to filter out what's coming at us by necessity. So what's, where, where's the, and so just coming back to the content creation. So that's part of, you know, your profession is creating compelling content. Yes. And, you know, you mentioned this before. I'd like to, you know, think about how to use all of these wonderful tools or approaches or frameworks in order to write better. So what's what's that flow look like for you in terms of being able to write some compelling content, perhaps particularly on something which is outside your area of expertise? Well, this, I have to put my professional hat on here because in the world of content marketing and content strategy as a starting point, I mean, we're all so inundated with information that uh, step number one is to really deeply understand your audience. What are they struggling with? What are their pain points? What keeps them up at night? What are their, some of their aspirational goals? And you can build personas around that. Just do a Google search on audience personas and you'll find a wealth of information out there on how to do this. It's not hard, but you're really trying to get into their head so that you can start writing things that help them solve problems and help them get things done, help them remove blocks from their life or whatever they're trying to do. And, uh, so you really need to focus on that first. And then, you know, real practical things like figuring out you know, where they're gathered, uh, where are they talking, are they in communities? Uh, you know, do some listening to what they're talking about and then start to focus content development around those issues. Uh, maybe you survey them. There's, there's all sorts of ways to get that kind of input, one-on-one -on -one discussions with people. Uh, I've always believed that uh, you know people like you who are podcasting, you're talking to so many brilliant people and getting so many perspectives that you get this incredible generalist view of the world that's so multifaceted just by having come in contact and had you know, deep conversations with these folks. So, as, so once you've got that framing as, I suppose, how you're trying to serve these people, who you're trying to serve and how you're trying to serve them, and as you're doing your research, let's say it's a new area, as you're doing research, how do you piece together all of those things that you discover and how those fit together in order to be able to draw a narrative. And I think one of the interesting things is writing is linear. Yes. You know, it starts and it continues, you know, and it keeps on until it ends. Uh, if, you know, presuming people read it that way, whereas ideas and the kind of landscapes we're talking about is there are connections all over the place. Right. So how do you take that whole rich lattice of connections of ideas as you pull them together and all the, uh, all of the connections and frames to create a linear piece of writing? 
Well, usually uh, creating the personas and, you know, understanding what their journey is as they try and get things done naturally suggests topics to write about. And uh, I'm a big believer in either mind mapping if it's a bigger project or just doing a traditional outline uh, of what I want to write just to create some constraints on it. Because otherwise, like you said, you could go a million different directions and you don't want to overwrite. You want to be fairly concise because people don't have much time to read and Frankly, if you, if you don't hook them and keep their attention, you're going to lose them pretty quickly. Again, it's part of this filtering mechanism. I don't want to invest a lot of time in this if I don't see a payoff. So so that's a good way to keep the writing focused. And within that, you can be fairly creative. Uh, it also helps to constrain the research because you can really go down a rabbit hole, as you know, uh, doing Google searches and things like that. But it helps you to make some decisions about what's relevant to the story you're trying to tell, what's not, you know, what's within scope, what's outside of scope. Maybe in the process you find a few new ideas that you just jot some notes on and put them away in your system for future uh, exploration. But but it helps to keep the writing focused. And uh, we live in a day and age that if you're a content creator, the tools that you're using to publish also provide a whole tool set of engagement. So you can, if you really need to take the time to look at what people are connecting with, you know, what are they sharing? What are they liking? What are they reacting to, commenting on? And that can give you a a sense of if you're actually meeting those needs and maybe where you need to go deeper and and spend some more time focusing on with your content. So are there ways in which you practice, you know, focused uh, deep work or focused attention or uh, awareness or do you meditate or are there other ways in which you try to keep focused attention for periods? I, it kind of comes naturally co- to me because I've been writing uh, daily for decades, you know, professionally and both for my own projects. Um, in terms of uh, my diet of information, you know, newsletters play a big part. I know you've talked to other uh, guests about source selection. For me too, that, that plays a big role. There's certain things I'm looking for around creativity and change and technology and visual thinking, note-taking. And I subscribe to many newsletters, but then I fairly quickly call them down. You know, I'm looking for value. I'm looking for insights that I can share or build upon. And if I'm not seeing that, I, I unsubscribe. And like I said, I'm always in the habit of capturing ideas as they come to me. Uh, I uh, actually just came across something this week that blew my mind. You know, I'm focused a lot on content creation, but I was always wondering if if uh, a course like the one I talked about earlier could have use for professional content creators, content marketers working in corporations. And, uh, you know, right now, like the course that I referred to earlier is mainly focused on individual creators who are trying to you know, write on Medium or, or Substack or whatever. And I came across a, a subject, uh, I'm trying to think of what it was called. Basically, the, the, the whole idea is that the whole, the, that task-based work isn't the only way to organize anymore. Uh, that there's actually a content-based approach to gathering information and getting work projects done, which I found really fascinating because I never really, really thought about connecting the two, but Apparently, you know, task-based work has reached a point where there's some limitations to it, and and the whole concept of teams, you know, permanent teams working together for long periods of time, isn't as flexible as it needs to be anymore. So it's opening up a whole new rabbit hole for me to go down to understand what are people saying about this, and how can I connect it to what I'm trying to do. 
So pulling back to this idea of thriving on overload. So you know, have a wealth of you know, insight and advice, uh, but just want to distill. What are some of the things that you do that you think that others might benefit from in bringing into their daily practices? I'm always looking for a better way. I guess that's the first thing that comes to mind. Uh, and like I said, I, I realized uh, I had some limitations in my uh, Evernote approach. Uh, it was serving me adequately, but again, I have limited time to work out things and I, I need to figure out how to create better ideas. Uh, you know, mind mapping's been around for over 20 years and I hate to say it, but I, I don't wouldn't say it's dying, but its popularity as a, as a business tool, I think is starting to wane a bit. And so I'm at a point where I've reached a certain plateau with my audience in terms of views and newsletter subscribers, and I'm trying to figure out how to build it up to the next level with better ideas. So I'm trying to improve my information gathering and my writing and you know curation, all these things to try and bring more value to my readers and to hopefully a, a bigger audience of people. Well, I think, I think that's the most critical thing of all. Yes. Is that whatever you do, you can improve. Yes. And I've spoken to a lot of people about what they do, and I think every single, some of them are amazing, including you, but I think that everyone uh, can improve, and I can improve. We're all trying to, I think that's the critical thing, is that whatever you're doing, you need to be able to uh, think about and try things to work out what it is you can do better. You know, again, we're real habitual, and I think there usually is some trigger event that convinces people they need to do something differently. Maybe they uh, missed out on a promotion or they got laid off from a job or something just didn't work out right for them or something they tried failed. And it's like, well, maybe I need to take a look at this from some different perspectives and, and some different ways of doing things and maybe some different tools to help me do things more efficiently or more, in a more focused way. So you have a wealth of resources that you share with the world. And so we'll, that will all be in the show notes. Uh, but where, where are the best places for people to find uh, you and your work? Well, the Mind Mapping Software Blog is one. That's uh, mindmappingsoftwareblog.com. I also write on Medium. You can just look me up by name and find my writings there. About a year ago, I started up a newsletter called The Catalyst. Again, every other week, one idea just not fairly concise, maybe about six or eight paragraphs, uh, an idea to help creators and entrepreneurs think better, think more creatively, consider new perspectives. And, you know, in some cases, I'm just sharing my own observations. In a lot of cases, I come across ideas that just blow me away. Somebody's got a new metaphor for, for looking at the world, and I share that and add my own interpretation to that. And uh, you can find that on my LinkedIn. Uh, I also publish it to Medium. And uh, so those are, the, those are the main places right now where you can find myself. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time and your insight, Chuck. It's been a great pleasure. Uh, likewise. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you for listening to the show. If you want more resources to help you thrive in a world of exponential information, go to thrivingonoverload.com, where you can find all podcast episodes, transcripts, show notes, excerpts from my book, Thriving on Overload, the Thriving on Overload interactive course, and a trove of other useful content and resources, including a weekly Tips for Thriving newsletter to keep across it all. If you like this episode, please do help us be found by giving us a rating or review, and subscribe if you'd like to hear more. This is Ross Dawson, 
Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day.